Hi, everyone. I'm June Hessler for the Midwest Medium Podcast. Thank you for joining me and welcome back. Today, we're switching gears a little bit. Earlier this year, I was um, in Estes Park, Colorado, and my family and I visited the Stanley Hotel, which is a really beautiful property. If you ever have the chance to go, I highly encourage it. Um, many of you may know that the haunt, that the building is notoriously haunted. A lot of paranormal television shows have gone there to do um, paranormal investigations. So if that's something you're into, you probably already know about the history of the Stanley Hotel. Well, today we have Joanne Beatty as a guest, and she is um, involved with the Stanley Home and Museum, which is also in Estes Park, Colorado. And when I was in town, I toured the home with Joanne, and she was so kind, very knowledgeable, and extremely passionate about uh, the, pre preserving the history of the Stanley legacy and the home. And it's such a really beautiful place. So I asked Joanne to come on today to talk about why it's important to tell us more about F.O. Stanley. You know, there's more to him than the legacy of a haunted Stanley hotel. Um, although I do think that's important. I also think it's important to learn more about this man who meant so much to the area. And um, I really encourage anyone who's ever in Estes Park, Colorado to check out the Stanley Home and Museum. It's it's really beautiful. It's a really neat place. So a little background, the Stanley Home was built in 1904 by F.O. Stanley, who, as I mentioned, also built the famously haunted Stanley Hotel. And really both of these structures, I would say, are really only a couple miles apart. They're not that far from one another. Um, after the deaths of F.O. and his wife, Flora, the Stanley and was no longer in the possession of the Stanley family. After 40 years of private ownership, the historic Stanley Home Foundation raised enough money to purchase the home, which sits on over four acres of land, with the mission of preserving its remarkable history. Joanne Beatty serves as director of the historic Stanley Home Foundation board. And as I mentioned, I had the pleasure of touring the home with her on the 4th of July of this year when I was on a family vacation. I was really struck by Joanne's obvious passion for the work the organization does along with her extensive knowledge of the Stanleys. So like I mentioned, I asked her to come on and share the unhaunted and lesser known history of F.O. Stanley. Hi, Joanne, thank you for joining me today. I'm really glad to have you and to learn more about F.O. Stanley and his wife, Flora. Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking about them. And yeah, I can I can tell that we really enjoy my daughter. So my daughter is 15 and and she really enjoyed the tour as well that you gave. So as I was explaining to the listeners earlier, I really encourage anyone who's in the Estes Park area. I'm, you know, of course, they're probably going to go to the Stanley Hotel because it's it's a it's a beautiful historic site with a lot to offer. But um, I think for people to check out the Stanley Home and Museum. It's such a beautiful, I think equally as beautiful site with a lot of rich history. So for those who are unaware, give us a quick history lesson about F.O. and Flora Stanley. I, I know that's asking a lot because there's a lot there, but tell us about them. Well, um, 
Effo and Flora came to Estes Park um, in 1903. And the reason they did that was because Effo, which is Freeland Oscar, he just went by Effo, um, he had reoccurring tuberculosis. And his doctors on the East Coast told him that he probably didn't have more than six months left to live. So they uh -huh. said, why don't you go to Colorado? We've seen some people feel better and it would be a better climate for you for breathing. So he came to Denver and he was fine here. And then all of a sudden the first summer came and he was having trouble with all the air quality there. So his doctor said, go to Estes Park. So when he came here, he was 53 years old, weighed 118 pounds and only given the six months to live. But he spent the first summer here and when he left, he had gained 48 pounds and felt much, much healthier. So he wow. and his wife, Flora, they had spent um, time in a cabin adjacent to the property that they purchased. They decided that they were going to have this be their summer home. So for the next 40 some odd years, they came every summer to Estes Park. And he enjoyed the place so much that he wanted to share it with his friends on the East Coast. Not only the beauty of it, but how much better he felt his health-wise. So that's when they decided to build the house. They built the house um, on 415 West Wonderview, which has an absolutely beautiful, beautiful view of the mountains. When this house was put on the market for sale, we as concerned citizens were uh, afraid that a developer would come tear down the house and put up condos. So we formed a um, foundation and it took us four years and we purchased the home and turned it into a museum. Yes. Okay. So I do want to get into that. Going back to Effo and, and his wife and, and basically what they had built in Estes Park because as I understand it um, you know many of us have heard of the Stanley Steamer um, I think some people may or may not know that he was involved in the photography aspect of things with his twin brother um, and that he also I believe he supplied electricity to the locals can yes. you talk more about a, um, a little more about his background and how he became so well respected in the Estes Park community Certainly. Um, he was um, educated on the East Coast and his mom and dad were very um, much about education. He was a school teacher, as was Flora. That's how they met. When his illness started to get in the way of doing lots of things on the East Coast and he came here, he realized that Estes Park had something wonderful to offer. However, it was a little bit rural and there was no electricity. And there, as much as he wanted to invite his family and guests from the East Coast to come here, he wanted them to have a nice facility. So he decided that he was going to build a hotel. That was done nine years after he lived here. But he realized that spending the summer here, he would like some of those comforts. So he looked into getting electricity and he developed the hydro plant, which provided the electricity, and he provided that to the entire town. And how they monitored the payment on that was they charged you per light bulb. So that was electricity coming. But he also realized that on his first trip out here in his Stanley steamer, 
that he had stopped in Lyons and was supposed to pick up someone else to help him along the way, meaning put water into the Stanley steamer car. Mm -hmm. that was supposed to help him decided he felt that the vehicle was too rickety and the roads were too unstable so he was not going to go with him so Effo went by himself he ended up in Estes about almost two hours later and contacted the local general store manager Sam and said Sam could I use your phone and he said yes and he called the Mr. Welsh who was supposed to come and said I'm here and he was shocked and he said I don't believe you put Sam on the phone so he put Sam on the phone Sam said yes indeed he made it here but he realized how difficult it was to get here so he immediately started improving the roads so he was starting to bring tourism to Estes at a point in time when they didn't have roads, they didn't have electricity, they had no running water. So he started looking at the infrastructure of the town and started bringing his entrepreneur spirit and his innovative ways to getting these things accomplished. He started the first bank, he gave funds um, and um, provided land for the first school. Um, he provided sanitation. Uh, he started working with other men to do that. He brought a lot of what we consider just an average thing in any town now. He brought that to Estes. And because he shared all of these with the locals, he became very well respected. He also and Flora were very, very much into the arts and they loved music. So they would bring artists out from Denver and also from the East Coast, and they would provide musical concerts for all locals at no cost every Sunday afternoon. So he built a rapport with the locals because he was sharing his wealth and his ability to do things. The way his mind worked, even as a young child, was I want to know how this works and I want to know if I can make it better. And that's how they worked on the development of the Stanley Steamer. That's how they worked and profited wonderfully on the dry plates. Um, they brought it common to all people to be able to now take photos at a reasonable cost. Um, and that's where they made their fortune, which a lot of people do not know. They think that it was in the Stanley Steamer and it wasn't. They made their fortune when they sold this dry plate company to Eastman Kodak Company. That's amazing. Is there now, Joanne, with your, with as much as you know about FO and Flora, um, and, and I know that you spoke a little about his education and he was a teacher. Is there anything that indicates in his background why he was so forward thinking? Was it truly just an entrepreneurial spirit and wanting to understand how things work and wanting to make things work better or how could he improve things? I mean, I think it's so unique even today for someone with, with that type of background, whether, you know, creating a fortune or not to have that forward thinking and wanting to not only provide for myself and my family, but for all of the people around me that I don't even know. I think he saw a lot of that from his dad. His dad um, had a general store. Then he did a wheat mill. Um, he, 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 
he saw his dad reaching out to make the community better. And I think he got a lot of that from his dad, the, the let's see if we can make things better attitude. But his, yeah. his entrepreneur spirit was very early. I mean, in grade school, they used their dad's lathe and made toy tops and sold them to their their classmates. And then from there, they went on and made a part that the women in town were constantly breaking in their weaving machines. So they sold it to them. Then they went on to make buckets that were used for sap and making maple syrup. Um, and when they did that, they made $36, which was a lot of money back then. They had their mom buy material to make them a matching suits. And um, with a little bit of money that was left over, they bought a math book and they poured over this math book because they wanted to know how multiplication worked, how division worked, how percentages worked. It was something in their makeup that made them want to know how things worked, which is why when he had dinner parties at his home and people came, the first thing he'd say is, well, before anybody leaves the dinner table, here's the riddle and we'd like to, you to solve that. And he would say things like, well, what has two arms and um, a neck, but no head? And everybody would sit around the table trying to come up with the answer. And eventually somebody would say, it's a shirt. And everybody <laughs> was excited because now they could finish their dinner. But that's just how his mind thought. He really enjoyed the riddling of life as to how things worked. That's really interesting. And it's so interesting now looking back on all those years ago and really seeing now what Estes Park has become largely because of his entrepreneurial spirit, because of his generosity, because of his curiosity. It really not only benefited him and his wife, but so many other people for generations. I just think that's so remarkable. And his generosity was very large. Um, he and uh, Flora did not have any children of their own, yet he felt education was very important. And if he found a student that didn't have the means to go to higher education, but wanted to, they would help out. They also gave lots of money to schools on the East Coast that they had attended to. Um, they just were generous in all ways. Um, if they he had an employee that had an accident and it caused that employee to not be able to work. Well, he funded that family until the husband was feeling better, gave them housing, provided for them. And I believe it was their daughter that he went on to um, pay for her education and she became a teacher. That's so amazing. So they really touched so many lives, whether intentionally or unintentionally. I, I just, I think that's, I think it's such a really great story. And that's, again, why I really wanted you on the podcast, because a lot of people don't know these things. So, yeah. And, and they, they just were a remarkable couple, especially in the fact that Flora was treated as an equal. And at that time in, in history, women were not considered equals. And she, right. she helped in their dry plate company, um, they also, when they had some money, when they had a lot of money, they were raising horses and she was taking care of the, the transactions with the horses. She owned land. She was very, very involved in women's rights. Um, 
she was ahead of her time and he respected that and they worked together as a partnership and a very loving couple because when he was so sick when they first arrived she was on top of his diet and really worked very very hard to make sure that he had everything he needed to eat and then later on in life when she couldn't see very well he took care of her and by doing that he would tell her the vivid colors of sunsets and sunrise when they sat on their porch. Um, he would say, oh, the Smiths are coming up to the driveway to visit us. And Mrs. Smith's hair looks a little different than last time we saw her. And she's got a blue sweater on. So when Mrs. Smith stepped up on the porch, Flora would say, oh, that blue sweater is lovely and your hair looks so nice. And the people never knew that she could not see for many, many years. When they had an artist do some artwork in the, uh, the hotel, he brought her over there and made sure to tell her what the colors in the picture were, what the, what the subject matter in the painting was, so that when the artist came in, she could ooh and ah, and the artist had no idea she couldn't see. So just a very, very loving couple. When he was traveling all over the United States promoting the dry plates, they wrote back and forth letters to each other. They could have mm -hmm. called, but they chose to write. They both enjoyed writing. And he'd write things like, um, I'm in Chicago, this town is a boom or a bust and um, we're, on, we're on the boom and hold the fort, we're on the way home. Now that was important because before he went into business with his brother on the dry plates, he had his own business, which was a drawing kit that he had developed, protractors and rulers that he would sell. And he was making very good money on it, but then he had a factory fire that devastated all of his inventory and all of his assets. So he was in debt for a very short time. So when he was writing her back and saying hold the fort I'm on my way home we're almost out of debt it was it was it was very different for them at that point in time it was it was getting out above what had happened to him his um, tenacity in in overcoming things was also pretty amazing I mean he got over the tuberculosis um, and he realized how dangerous that illness was because his mom and two brothers passed away from it um, he got through this fire and pulled himself up by the bootstraps. Um, so he really, really was about what do I need to do to make the situation better? Um, just an incredible person, really. Gosh, I would say, and, it's, and he and Flora together, as you were stating, such a remarkable couple supporting he one another, a fantastic team. And I just, yeah. we need more people like that in the world, I think. I would agree with that. And I really yeah. believe, I also know that um, I, I told you at the tour that they did not um, smoke, obviously, because of his, his illness, but they didn't mm. like to drink either. And I think that the lessons that he learned as a young child, his dad, I mentioned, had a um, general store and he had a partner and the general store partner drank his portion of the business in the ground. And so the dad, F.O.'s dad, paid off his debts. Well, here we are, 53, he's 53 years old, F.O. is. He's just made a lot of money with the uh, Stanley plates. He's doing very well. And he sends a check to a Mr. 
I can't remember the gentleman's name, let's just say Mr. Smith in his hometown to uh, this gentleman who owned an orchard and said, here's a check for $20 from the two boys who stole more apples than you could ever imagine. Now that's something nobody would ever know. And here it is years and years later, he realized he had a debt and he needed to take care of it. That's kind of the things that we want to share with the public and inspire that people have learned these traits and that they've taken them into their adulthood. And I, I just think that also the example that the community was supported by FO and Flora. And then when we purchased the home and it was totally empty, we asked the community for help and they showed up in droves. And I just think it's a nice way that it came full circle. They helped oh. the community and here's the community helping them. So it's absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings me to my next question. So as I understand it, Joanne, the historic Stanley Home Foundation was founded um, about seven years ago, I think in 2016, yes. specifically to purchase, renovate and preserve the historic home. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So tell us how really it all came about. I mean, I know you mentioned that it was a group of citizens that were worried that the home would go up for sale. And, and, and as you you know, go up for sale for condos. And as you mentioned, the views from the house, oh my gosh. I mean, when we were in town, we were all over the place and there really isn't a bad view no matter where you are, but I can't, I, the view from the home outside the front door, outside the dining room, living room windows, upstairs in FO's office, the views are spectacular. So Tell us how the organization, how people band together to um, to purchase and preserve the home. How did all of that start? Well, um, it started with the idea of let's let's see if we can do this. We approached the Browns, the owners that had been there for 38 years. We asked them if they would be willing to sell it to us as a museum that we would like to do this. And they were delighted because they had seen lots of people come through that wanted to purchase the home and said, oh, well, we could take down this wall and change that to another bathroom. And it was just making okay. cringe because for the years that they had been there, they realized what the historical site they had and was living in. They were very careful not to go to Lowe's for things, but to buy period pieces. Well, when they said yes, we started trying to do fundraising and we approached many people and we were able to raise um, $1.7 million, but it took us four years to do that. And that was with the help of the bank. Um, and the Browns were very, very gracious and let us use the home to show people as we were trying to raise funds because they were traveling. And when we actually purchased it from them in 2020, they said, we're leaving all the furniture. Well, that was wonderful, except the furniture wasn't from the 1900s. So we got rid of it yeah. and we had five pieces in the whole house that were original to the Stanleys. So that's why it was so important when the community stepped up, because the home is fully decorated now. Everything with jewelry, clothing, furniture, um, just, just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I remember when you told us, go ahead. I'm, I'm just saying it's it's amazing that we are fortunate enough to have this home still standing with wallpaper that he designed and patented that's over 100 years old and has gone through so many families and it's still in very good shape. 
But to be able to have something like this, people can read about it. They could look at it, pictures in a book, but to actually walk and see, walk where they did and come down those steps and see that beautiful view, it's just amazing. It's, and we feel so fortunate to be able to preserve their legacy and, and, and put that out there to anybody um, who's interested. And we hope to spark new interest in people that didn't think they were interested. Well, you definitely did in my family. I, I have to say that. Um, I I do. I, I remember during the, the tour, you, you did tell the story of you put it out there to the community. We need period pieces. We're taking donations and everyone really stepped up to the plate and donated like you had mentioned. And I just I love that story because, as you said, FO gave so much to the community and they they gave it back when it was when it was truly needed in an effort to restore the home, treat it as a museum, give the tours. And you're right. You certainly can look at the pictures online on your website. Um, but to walk those hallways, walk down those stairs, see the views of the beautiful mountains. I mean, it. it walking through those doors, I think, really took me back in time and really gave me a sense of um, you know, we're, we're in such a fast paced modern society now, but it still really gives a person, I think, a sense of what living back then was like, because you have done such a great job in restoring the home, keeping as much original pieces or wallpaper, like you had mentioned, of the home. I think it really does take a person back. Well, we hope, we hope that that's, that's our goal. That's our goal. Yes. And the other thing that I would like to share, because I would be remiss if I didn't um, add this to you was, um, and I know I told you on the tour, that FO um, learned how to manufacture, make violins by his great, uh, great uncle and his grandfather and taught himself how to play the violin at age 11. That's incredible. Wow. That's just, yeah. I mean, that's just really incredible. And then of course, Flora, she was great in p playing the piano and poetry. Um, they just had a lot of, um, a lot of wanting to know things and creating mm -hmm. for others to see. And they did, they did a marvelous job of that. So I'm just so pleased to be the director of this museum and be able to share these stories and this beautiful home with all of our visitors. And we've had uh, 80 uh, third graders go through um, as a field trip. And that was a hoot. That was really fun. Um, showing them all the old time pieces and having them guess what those things were. Um, and having them walk away going, oh, well, these people made a difference to our community. We didn't know about that. So that was pretty encouraging. I think that's wonderful. And what a great idea to bring school-aged children in for a tour as a field trip. It didn't even occur to me that that is another avenue that the organization can take in educating a younger, a, really a younger audience. I know when when my daughter and I left, we walked away and we I mean, first of all, Joanne, I have to say we could feel your passion for the Stanleys and for what you do. I mean, I wouldn't have asked you to come on otherwise. I mean, it, it truly does. Um, I feel like it just kind of like 
you really put that out there. And I think that's really great because you make it so intra incredibly interesting. It was such a great, you know, we've been on many tours, you know, and some are better than others. And I have to say yours truly is fantastic. So I just want you to know that from like a tour guide perspective, you do a really great job. Um, but we walked away and we just thought, oh, that was so fun. So educational. With that being said, and I have to ask, because this podcast talks about paranormal and supernatural, do people come for a tour and assume that the house is haunted? I have to, I have to guess that that is true. Yes, we get a lot of questions asking us, um, have we seen any paranormal type events? And we have not, nor do we know of any history of it happening there. So I think that the Stanley Hotel um, has that market pretty well covered, and they have plenty of examples of stranger things happening there. Um, and and we can't we can't uh, claim that at our location at all. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, maybe that's for the better because I know you're in the house alone sometimes, and yes. you know fixing <laughs> fixing things, renovating. So maybe it's best right. that way. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, I would, if I can, I'd like to encourage your uh, viewers to go to our website. We have an eight minute video that shows you pictures of the home and gives you the background stories. Um, some of the ones that I shared with you uh, today and others as well. And that is uh, stanleyhome.org. Stanleyhome.org. Okay, wonderful. I'll make sure that's in the show notes too. So for anyone um looking at that it's an easy way for them to find your website so I'll definitely put that in there so that really brings me to what does the future hold for the Stanley Home and Museum well we have a lot of projects lots of projects that need to be done where we we're making the home uh the way it was and that is a, a big project we have um Unfortunately, we thought we could paint the house, peel the paint that's on there and paint it, but it turned out to be lead paint. So we can't do that ourselves. It has to be abated. Yeah. So that's a big project. The office that we're using right now was renovated. It was an open porch with a cover over it, and they've enclosed it, pre, you know, other owners after the Stanleys and they put a fireplace in. So we have to take the fireplace down and the enclosure and make it an open porch again. The porch where FO slept most of the time right next to the dining room was an open porch. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's been closed in. So there are many things like that that we need to do to get the home back to the way it was when FO and Flora lived there. So that's part of our projects. We can only do the projects um, as funds become available. We're a nonprofit. So, um, you know, our tours are wonderful and we appreciate people coming through, but that doesn't pay all the bills. So it, it's just the right. way it's used. Yeah. But we had to do, we had to do things that we didn't expect. Like we had to make the driveway larger so a fire truck could make the turns. Um, different things like that. And as we're going, we're realizing that there's rotten spots on the porch that need to be repaired and different things like that. But in terms of goals for moving forward, one of the ones that I'm very passionate about and hope to get accomplished this year is I would like to have a Spanish speaking tour. We have a community here of Spanish speaking students and adults that cannot appreciate what we have to 
to share with them if we're not doing it in a language that they can understand. So we're looking at getting- That's a great idea. Yeah, we're looking at getting bilingual students from the high school to come and be a guide in each room. So they don't have to know the whole story. They just get the one piece of that room. And we would have a docent with them that speaks English so that in case somebody asks a question in Spanish, we can translate the correct answer and they can give it back to the audience in Spanish. So that's my goal. Um, we're, we're, we're plugging away with the school and we're working to find students that are willing to do that. Um, but I think that that's something very important. We want this to be a community resource. We want the community to embrace this, not just to be a tourist um, place. And in order right. to do that, we need to serve the whole community. And the whole community includes the Spanish speaking people as well. So that's that's one of our big goals. That's a really great idea. I know you had mentioned before, um, you know, you said tours are great, but it doesn't pay all the bills. One thing I just wanted to make sure to mention, because and, and I learned this the day that we came for the tour is you really prefer for people to purchase their ticket online before they come in for the tour. Is that correct? I think it might be a little bit hard to per. Yeah. 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 Okay. So for anyone, just so any listeners, just so you know, if you're able to purchase online ahead of time, um, that is what is preferred by. Yeah. And the reason the we do that is we offer three tours a day currently, and we only have each tour having eight people on it. So if we can get people to reserve online, then if somebody walks up to the door and knocks on it and says, can we take a tour? We can say, yes, there are two available spots. You're more than welcome to join us. But we want to make sure that if you've shown up and you want a tour, that we've got the spot reserved for you ahead of time, since we are only taking eight at a time. And we only take eight at a time because we feel as though the visitor will benefit more by a smaller group than a larger group. I think that's true. Our group, I believe, was about seven or eight people. And I felt like that was like a perfect size. People would ask interesting questions, questions that I hadn't thought of Um and and it and it's a small enough group where you can still go into each individual room and hear the tour guide and yeah i think that's a great number of people for each for each tour that's great well and it also came from our docents we asked them how do you feel about having larger or smaller and they came up with the number 8 and of course we want to do what works for them as well right of course well joanne i really appreciate your time today. Oh, one thing I did want to ask, um, I know you had talked a little bit about fundraising. Are there any more fundraising events coming up yet this year that you'd like to share or is the fundraising season, fundraising season over for the year? No, we have another event. Um, it is our summer series number three. This will be the last one that we have and it'll be on September 15th. And we will have four women dressed in period clothes being characters. And one will be Flora, one will be Eleanor Hondius, one will be Isabella Bird, and one will be um, Anna um, for, um, gosh, I lost her name. Uh, she, she was responsible for forming a tea house. And she was a single woman that came here and um, settled here. And she was incredibly 
uh, an entrepreneur and she made a big difference in the community. So these are four women that were very influential in the community in that point in time. And we're highlighting those and we're doing a wine and cheese on the porch. And then these people will do like a little skit and then they'll mingle with the crowd to be answering questions. Yeah. So that's the one that we have. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is. This will be the third one that we've done. And we've really had a lot of fun and our guests have really enjoyed it. They feel definitely like they've stepped back in time. And so that's fun. We'll also have a high tea and that will be in October. And then we will probably have another fashion show. And then we start. Um, But what we will be promoting come January is a membership program. We're hoping to get a lot of people to be part of the membership and that will help us with sustaining dollars. Um, So those those are the main ones. Joanne, you're a busy lady. Yes, I am, but it's 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 uh it's a lot of fun and it's um it's something totally different than I've ever done before. And I'm well, I have to say your your passion certainly shines through, I think, today and in your tours as well. So I really I thank you so much for taking the time with me today, educating people about the Stanleys. They're more than just a haunted hotel, which is right. fun too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. fun too. But the the home in the museum is such a beautiful historic place, and and I thank you for all that you've done personally. You know, your own time, your own energy, your own resources to help uh, preserve the home. Because, like I said over and over, my daughter and I enjoyed it so much, and that's largely because of all the work that you've put into it. So I hope you know that there's people like us that truly do appreciate your your efforts very much so much and I appreciate the opportunity to share more stories I like talking about it as you can tell and um, the more people that see it the more people that get to hear the stories the happier we are so thank you for having me of course thank you so much